Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Get Outside with Kids. Uh, and Kate and I were just lamenting about, you know, travel before kids and travel post kids um, because the guest we have coming on tonight has made some big moves and traveled quite a lot with her four children. Both of us have traveled a lot. I traveled a lot as a kid. Uh, firstly, I was lucky enough with my family to travel a lot. I also traveled quite a bit as an adult myself. And Jen, you've been, you've traveled all over the world. And I think this episode today just kind of made us remember that feeling of like moving to a new place for a little while traveling the world, being a tourist in a different place. And it kind of reminded us of that because I've lived in the same place now, Jen, for like 14 years. I don't think I'm really new around here anymore. Do you? I know. We actually, funnily enough, uh, when we were out for my husband's birthday dinner on, I guess just last week, thank you, Kate, for babysitting. No and problems. I think, and I think <laughs> we've nailed down. I'm like, I want to do it next year. Like next year, I want to go away for one month somewhere, like dip our toe into that like bigger trip again. Um, hopefully my uh, toddler will be a better traveler by then. And if you do a throwback to our Mexico uh, episode, you'll hear that that trip, that that one week trip. Please go and listen to that episode if you haven't. It was so funny. It was such a good one. Um, yeah, I think we obviously people become a little bit more cautious about traveling after they've had kids because it can just be a little bit harder. And I think one of the things about, you know, what you described, Jen, about going away for a month is like, well, what about all our things? What about our home? What about the place where we've kind of set up our lives? What happens there? In my case, what about our cat? But um, tonight's guest, Leslie, talks about this, you know, this idea of stuff and like, what are we bringing the stuff into our lives for? And how does it really serve us? Um, and as somebody who has moved around uh, the world a lot and around the US a lot in particular as well, and has now done a big international move, she's got some really great perspective on that. Like, how do we go about creating a life that serves us and creating a home that is setting us up to get outside and explore more, um, as opposed to a home that makes us feel bound to sort of stay inside and tidy and tidy and tidy and tidy. <laughs> forever, Jen, forever. It never ends, Kate. It never ends. All right. Well, stay tuned for some tips from Leslie coming up and a very funny, but also not funny story at the end. I think something we can all relate to as parents when things go wrong. And tonight we're joined uh, from someone joining us all the way from tomorrow on the other side of the world. Leslie Alder is joining us from New Zealand. And what time zone and what time is it over there for you tonight, Leslie? So it's 5 p.m. Tuesday. So tomorrow. <laughs> Tomorrow, and we are recording this at 8 p.m. on a Monday night. So thank you so much for making the time zones work. Although arguably this one wasn't too bad. We've had some other people on the podcast where the time zones are a little bit trickier to uh, to organize. Um, and Leslie, you've just moved to New Zealand with not one, not two, not three, but four small children. <laughs> um, so I'd love to backtrack on that. And what prompted this big move to the other side of the world? Yeah, so I was raised a military kid, and we were lucky enough to have one tour over in South Korea when I I was about middle school age and I absolutely loved my experience and I always knew that when I was an adult I would love to give my kids the same experience we just chose a slightly easier country that already spoke English um, but when we were trying to create like a short list of where we might want to spend a couple years internationally New Zealand was definitely on our list and we actually had tickets to visit in 2020 but then COVID hit so obviously that wasn't going to happen and when the country finally reopened we're like let's just shoot our shot and go so we changed them to one-way tickets my husband was able to find a job here um, we got our visas all sorted and we just sold everything that we owned except for what could fit in 10 suitcases because we didn't want to deal with a shipment um and we just came here 
Wow, that's a big move with four kids. I mean, I've just been on holiday with two kids for five weeks and was like, <laughs> that was a packing exercise. But like your entire life and four children, thats, that's yeah. a, that must have been a stressful uh, lead up to that sort of a move, right? It was. It was crazy. And to be fair, when we planned our just our trip in 2020, I only had two kids, so it felt way more reasonable. <laughs> but then I ended up having two pandemic babies. So it definitely made things a little bit more challenging. But So growing up, I guess, in you know so many different kind of places and different, it was just looking through some of the, the places you've lived in the world and the different kinds of buildings you've lived in, Leslie. I'm interested in how that sort of changed how you got outside as a kid. I think, you know, if you have the sort of storybook upbringing of like living in a big house with a big garden and uh, lots of space to run around, you know, it's easy. And I think Jen and I both kind of had that as kids, but neither of us live in that kind of housing now. And it's not a reality for most people around the world to live in the, you know, a massive block with a big garden that can keep you busy for hours. So as a kid, what was that experience like for you living in apartments and smaller homes and bigger homes? And how did it kind of affect your relationship with getting outside? Yeah, well, from the very beginning, it just helped me really establish this baseline of anything is possible. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is. Your environment doesn't impact you as much as you'd like to think it does. So now as an adult, I have lots of friends who have these picturesque ideas of like, well, I I would love to build a home in this type of environment, or I'd love to live in like this type of community. But because I grew up pretty much experiencing everything, I don't really have a preference. (laughs) And so like, when I think back on my childhood, I have earliest memories in this cute little red brick home in Tennessee where we had a fairly large backyard with a garden and a tree swing. And then we moved to a duplex where we had a very tiny, tiny backyard, but it was right up next to a forest. And my parents were gracious enough to let us just roam free. And so I have many memories of me and my sister just going out into the woods and coming back when it got dark. And then after that, we moved to the middle of the city in Seoul, South Korea, where we were in a high rise. Well, we were in a low rise with like six levels and our outdoors was a baseball field that was right behind our house. And for fun, we would run up and down the high rises and see how fast we could run the stairs and run them up and (laughs) run back down. So I just, I I was always outside, but it was always different. And so I just kind of learned from a young age that one, to appreciate the variety in our world, because there's so many different types of outdoor spaces, but two, to never question like, oh, can we do this? It was more of, how are we going to do this? Because we are going to be outside. Yeah, I love the contrast there of like city living versus uh, big open spaces. Like as Kate mentioned, uh, when Kate and I were younger, we both had, you know, maybe that traditional North American house with a backyard. And a lot of times you just played outside in the backyard. And now Kate and I live in uh, like city adjacent, I guess we're not like right downtown, but we don't have that big outdoor space. And sometimes that can feel limiting on getting outside. Um, Now, Leslie, you're kind of working in a space where um, you're helping people kind of simplify what happens inside the home so that they can get outside more. Uh, We've had a few guests on the show. um, And most recently, we had a guest come back, Kaylee, who lives in a literally in a tiny home, um, a home that is, you know, like literally designed to be quite small. And she really talked about how she simplified things like clothes and outdoor items so that, you know, one, they don't have a lot of space, but two, it actually enables their child to get outside more easily. Um, And you're kind of working adjacent in that space as well. So tell us why this kind of simplified living, like how does that connect to getting outside more? Yeah. So it all started for me when our family of two children at the time moved from Texas, where we had an awesome backyard, nice little one-story house. We made the move to San Diego, California. And 
we knew it was going to be more expensive there, but we also knew that the outdoor opportunities were going to be incredible, right? I mean, living next to a beach, we'd never done that before. And so we decided to make the trade-off of living, like we downsized into a tiny little apartment. Kids went back to sharing a room um, so that we could afford to live there. And that move forced us for the first time to minimize a lot of our things. But as I was going through that process, I realized like it's going to be fine because the less things I have, the more it's going to push me outside because we're going to run out of things to do eventually. But I found that when I settled into California, I got stuck between like this very black and white thinking because part of me would think like, oh, like I have the value of getting my kids outside. We just need to go. We need to go out and have an adventure. But then I would come home from that and the housework wouldn't be done and dinner wouldn't be ready. And I didn't get laundry done. And I, I didn't have the management going on where usually if you're at home and the kids can kind of play, you get some things done. But like when we're out adventuring, I'm not getting any of that stuff done. So I kind of swung the other side. I'm like, no, I just, I need to figure out how to get everything perfect and optimized so that I can get that taken care of. So then I can leave when I want to leave and go outside. And I just, I realized that that wasn't really a healthy place to live swinging back and forth between those two extremes. And so I instead approached it as like, okay, how can I do both? How can I create a life that doesn't require me to be managing it all the time and create a life that supports my desire to get outside? The idea of stuff kind of holding us back and being kind of a a prisoner to this stuff and the systems that we've set up is really interesting because we create it, you know? Like, I think that's what's so Mm -hmm. funny about it is like, we've created this idea of stuff and things and, you know, how it looks and tidiness in our homes. But it's so hard to see that, you know, we feel, I feel like I judge myself pretty harshly on how my home looks, even though honestly, not many people come in here that often. Sometimes Jen comes in to feed the cat. Just me, Kate, just me. (laughs) Particularly when we're away, you spend more time here judging. probably when I'm not here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like I, I think about this, I think, oh, you know, if only we had this or that or, you know, if only things were a little tidier, a little neater or more organized or whatever it is. But like that's a system that I created and it doesn't really have any meaning. And the idea of like being able to pick up and move houses multiple times as well, that must be a pretty freeing experience because you just kind of delete all the clutter, right? The things that aren't serving you, that you don't need, that you're holding on to for no good reason. Um, do you find now that you're sort of settled in in New Zealand that that's, that's kind of how it feels, like to have moved across the country with just the things you really need? Or do you find it sort of tempting to accumulate things again? How do you kind of keep that in check? Yeah, it's been a really interesting experience. Um, we did leave, you know, a couple boxes of sentimental things with my parents. But honestly, yeah, like we got here... And I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. Like everyone thinks, oh, like that's a very extreme example. Like she got rid of everything except for 10 suitcases. Like that must be so freeing to live very minimally. But here's the secret, guys. Even after you perfectly minimize everything, that desire to acquire is still there. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just actually means you're human. Like humans are wired to accumulate things because that's what's kept us alive, right? Like we need to accumulate food. We need to go gather resources. So that drive is still there. And I had this moment where... We had found a place to live in New Zealand. I had everything set up. We had, a, you know, we had bought the beds and the couches and the necessities that we need. And my kids are at school and I'm walking through the house and I'm like, I need to organize something. Like I, I need to like, I, I need to optimize something. I need to declutter something. And there was nothing to declutter. We just moved here. There was nothing to organize. There was nothing to shift around. And I just had to sit there with my brain, which was like a terrifying experience. So through this whole process, I think my biggest takeaway has been that it's not actually the things that are holding you back. It's your own expectations. 
of what you think you should be doing, what you think your life should be look like. That's what's holding you back. Because I went to the extreme and I got my my physical possessions literally down to what we needed. And that the drive and the tendency to want to shift things around as opposed to go out and live my life was still there. So let that lesson be to you guys that you don't have to do the extreme thing. You don't have to minimize everything in order to make this perfect setup so that you can go out and have your adventures. Just realize it's more than likely just your own brain that's holding you back. And if you can sit with your expectations and really get clear on what they are and how they line up with your values, then you can make a conscious choice and go out, enjoy your life, even without having your home minimized and perfectly organized. (laughs) So, um, Leslie, my question with that is how you, particularly with four kids, I have two kids and one of them's not really into this yet, but my older kid is sort of into treasures and collecting Mm. things and, you know, like that special, special bracelet that somebody made her at school. And it looks, I mean, it doesn't look great if I'm being honest, Uh, (laughs) but she loves it. It's very special to her. How do you go about kind of um, staying on top of that stuff with kids? What kind of systems do you use to make sure your kids' stuff doesn't kind of take over the house? Yeah. Um, Two things. Once I had this modeled to me in a very beautiful way. I had a friend uh, when we were living in that apartment place, actually, and she had two boys who loved love to collect things from nature and they go on walks every day just around the apartment complex and they come back with like this whole horde of sticks i'm not talking like little short six inch sticks we're talking like full-on could be a walking stick for an adult level branches and rocks and like all these treasures and i loved how she handled it she had a little box outside their front door and all the sticks and rocks would go into their box after their walk and then they go inside because it was a tiny apartment she couldn't have all these big sticks and almost boulders in their home um but she still like respected that they collected those things and they loved and they were special and when that box was full then they had to decide what they were going to part with and just switch out or stop collecting as much um and so i have a similar approach with outdoor things and indoor things so back before we moved each of my kid had each of my children had their own little special box and it was sort of like a nice physical boundary that contained their things. And so once they got too full, then they had to make some choices about what they were going to keep and what they weren't going to keep. And honestly, they, I think I was more attached to some of those things than they were. Like there were some special drawings or other things that they had collected. They're like, oh, I don't need that anymore. I'm like, um, okay, but I do. So I'll keep that in my <laughs> file. Um, but I, I found just having that physical boundary makes it so much easier because then it's not you that's trying to pull things out of their hands and they have a very clear understanding of what the expectation is. Yeah, I like that. You know, as opposed to like the entire bedroom or the whole shelf or whatever, I do need to probably create a physical limit. <laughs> Because there's a lot of things. And then Jen, like your son, for example, gave my eldest kid an entire stack of beautiful artwork that she now treasures. And uh, It was so beautiful, Kate, though. It was so, so beautiful. So beautiful. Just, just, so just special. for your child. <laughs> and now that's part of the treasures box as well. But, oh, no, might have to subtly make that one go away. But uh, it was very kind of him to bring it over. <laughs> yeah, we do a lot of the same with our artwork decluttering. Uh, sometimes our artwork decluttering becomes a project for Kate now to declutter. <laughs> but we're trying to do the Thank same you. where uh, and we 
No problem, Kate. Anytime, anytime. We try and do the same where every month we kind of have like this secret cupboard of art where things kind of disappear into. I kind of pull out the ones that probably should go directly into the recycling bin. Um, and then anything that's kind of special, we're trying to do like once a month, we pull out all the artwork and then we have a binder and everyone can keep a couple of pieces and that goes in that month's kind of slot in the binder. And then everything else, we look at it again, we enjoy it again, and then it has to go into the recycling bin because I only have two kids and the amount of artwork that we have accumulated from school and daycare and just, you know, our time playing art at home, but four kids with artwork, like, I feel like I would just be going through, like, I'd be burning down trees at that point, like the amount of just paper and arts and crafts and beads and glitter. It would be a lot. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. We've actually just straight up moved in our recycling bin for paper into the house and just sits next to the craft cupboard. And my, my older ones, especially, they're pretty good about like, okay, I'm done with that. And they just put it right in. But we fill that thing probably like once a week. That's just so with- funny. They put it in themselves. I look forward yeah. to this day, Leslie. <laughs> it's a good day. And yeah, yeah, like I said, you get to that point where you're like, oh, I, I kind of want to keep that one. It's like, no, I'm good. So <laughs> another another tip would be mailing it to grandparents is another way to get it out without having too many sentimental attachments. And be like, oh, this one's so special. Grandma needs it. Let's mail it mm, to her. Yes, grandma mm-hmm. does need a lot of art. That's a good idea. Although I, my family's in Australia and I tell you what, stamps have actually gone up quite a lot. Oh. And if both my kids want to send one special thing in a separate envelope to each grandparent, you're like, oh, it's like 10 yeah. bucks worth of <laughs> So, um, Leslie, since you've moved to New Zealand, can you tell us a bit about how you've been kind of getting out and exploring there and tips that you'd have for people who are maybe even they've been living in the same area for a while, but uh, ways to kind of get out and about and uh, and explore with your kids um, in your chosen home. So we, I've already had this practice before we moved to a new country of being a tourist in our own neighborhood, in our own backyard. And part of that was brought on by the fact that I still have a little bit of military in me and I just have this compulsion to move to a new state every three years. <laughs> so unfortunately for my children, I have not quite kicked that habit and we've actually lived in several different homes in my son's now almost eight years of life. Um, But because I have this drive to always move, I'm really good at establishing roots quickly and exploring and getting out quickly because I know that the faster you can attach yourself to your physical area, the more settled you're going to feel. And so we create these bucket lists, usually per season, of different outdoor places we want to explore or go and see. Um, And it helps create some boundaries as we go throughout the year and help mark the passage of time with kids, um, but it also helps us feel more connected to our neighborhood. So that's something that I recommend everybody do, regardless of if you've lived in the same place that you grew up in, or if you're in a totally new city, um, there's always little head- hidden gems that maybe you're not aware of that you can go and explore. And the internet's a beautiful thing. You can type like touristy things to do in and then your city or things to do with kids in your city. And many of them you may already be familiar with, but you'd be surprised. There's lots of things that may come up. We've only lived here for six months and already a lot of our friends, our new friends we've made here are saying things like, you guys have seen more of this area than we have. And we grew up here and it's just (laughs) a matter of getting out there and doing it. So I love that you guys are just exploring your own backyard, making the most of it. How do you think your kids have adjusted so far? Obviously, you've got a range from, you know, one through eight. So the youngest might not have too many opinions on how the move has gone so far. But are your kids enjoying being in the new place? Have they uh, been, you know, quote unquote, homesick maybe for for the previous home they've been? Or how have they made that adjustment to this big move for your family? They've actually done really well. Um, Like you said, the younger two really don't have any concept of what's going on. 
Um, but the older two, yeah, they've, they transitioned really well. And I think it helps that in our last area that we lived in, we'd actually only been in that home for one year. Um, we had sold a townhome that we owned in California. We moved into a rental because we knew it'd be easier to leave the country from a rental as opposed to trying to sell a home and move at the same time. Um, so my kids had already experienced one sort of smaller move within our same city, just to a different home. So we weren't too attached to the place that we were living. Um, but yeah, it was hard for them to leave some of their friends and leave their school. We absolutely loved the school that they were in. But they've settled in really well here. We came here in July, which was the middle of the school year for New Zealand. And so they just jumped right into classes and they've already made some really great friends. And we're in a smaller town than what we've experienced in the past. So it's really nice that everything's kind of connected and everyone sort of knows each other. And we've got them set up in their own activities so they can kind of feel some sense of normalcy. Like my son still gets to play soccer or football, as it would be called here. My daughter's, um, we got her in a dance class with a friend. So having those consistent activities has been nice. And also because we do have the culture of getting outdoors and doing lots of hikes, um, that just feels like home to them. So when we go out and we're exploring a new hike, we're going to a new place we've never been, it feels very normal and familiar to them. So Leslie, I I have a question for you here about school in New Zealand. My friend who lives in New Zealand told me that kids start school not on the first day of the school year, but on their fifth birthday. Can you confirm this? Because me and my friends, when we're listening to our other friends say this, we're like, there's no way. How does a teacher manage that? They'd have kids starting all year. Is this actually what you've experienced there? Do kids start on their fifth birthday where you live? That is my understanding. I don't personally have a child who is turning five. We may experience it if we stay here long enough. But yeah, and I think isn't it you wild? have the option of starting them like that moment, or you can wait until the next term begins. So for example, if your child turned five in November, you could send them that week, or you could wait until the next term started, which I think would be end of January at that point. But yeah, they have like a whole year zero and a year one. Yeah. And they're sort of combined. And so year zero (laughs) are the kids who just turned five versus year one would be like, you already turned five and then you're starting. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. I actually asked my friend, what year is your kid in? She couldn't tell me. And I was like, how do you not know? She's like, well, she started on this year, but that was the day she turned five. I was like, New Zealand, I love you so much. There are so many things going for New Zealand. I think it's a fantastic country, but that is like insanely complicated. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. Don't know what year you're in. One thing I have loved about New Zealand schools, though, is they're very like outdoors friendly, very child friendly. Like no one wears shoes pretty much like my kids come home carrying their shoes and like, right. like it's raining and they're carrying their shoes <laughs> or it's hot and they're carrying their shoes and I'm like what what happened like did your shoe break did they get wet and they're like no we just decided to take them off and some kids just straight up go to school without shoes they're like I'm just going to be carrying them anyways and they have like a race coming up like a field day sort of activity and it's a barefoot race like that's a requirement oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and yes I love it so much. They have a bike track, like a pump track at school where you can bring your bike and during recess, just like ride this bike track. It's, <laughs> it's my favorite. They're going to get some thick soles on the bottom of their feet. From, oh, yes. <laughs> in Australia, we used to get like that in the summer when it was hot and like you'd build up like a thick bottom of your foot because you're always barefoot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Now, Leslie, one question we always ask all of our guests is, you know, getting outside with one, two or four children. Um, obviously, no matter how well you plan, sometimes things can go wrong. So we'd love to share a story of, you know, maybe between this move, maybe in New Zealand, maybe back in the United States. What was a time 
when you were getting outside with some combination of your children and things just did not go as planned? Yes. Well, I knew you were going to ask this question. And as soon as you, as soon as I thought of how I would answer it, I knew exactly the story I wanted to share. So back in 2020, whirlwind year for us all, I actually had a baby who was born March 13th. So like the day that America kind of shut down. So that was <laughs> that a, is a pandemic baby. Wow. <laughs> pandemic baby. It was Friday the 13th. Um, <laughs> we made it to the summer and it felt like the longest postpartum of my life because like, you know, after you have a baby, you're like, you're at home, you're six weeks by yourself. It feels good. But with this baby, I came out of my postpartum and I was ready to go out there and the world was still shut down. And so I had this like major anxiety. It's like, I need to go. I need to get out. I need to feel normal again. So we planned this epic road trip. We're living in San Diego at the time. We planned a road trip all the way up the coast to go see LA up the coast to see all the beautiful beaches there. We're going to camp, see San Francisco and make it all the way up to the Redwoods. And this had been something we'd wanted to do for years, ever since we moved to California. And so we had everything booked, all the campsites booked there and back. And we start packing everything in the car. This is now in August. So my baby is five months old. And then I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I grew up camping. So I have lots of camping experience. My husband has lots of camping experience. We felt solid. We're packing up the car and we start driving. And all day I had sort of like this weird stomach ache, but I was like, nah, I'm probably just like nervous about our trip. No big deal. It's fine. And we get to our campsite. And I'm like, okay, something's not right. But I don't want to ruin the trip. And our first stop is like kind of middle of nowhere on this lake. I'm like, I can't just like pop into an urgent care. So I'll just be fine. I'll get through the night. And then tomorrow, if I'm still in pain, we'll go and see something. My husband sets up the tent. And within like 20 minutes, I knew something was wrong. I'm like, we can't. I got to go now. He's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, like now. So we load everybody back up into the car, leave the tent, (laughs) drive an hour down the mountain, check myself into this tiny little ER. And sure enough, I have appendicitis. And they're like, we need to operate now. So luckily, I had formula packed. It's just like an extra backup, probably never going to use it. So my husband goes to a hotel with the five-year-old, three-year-old, and five-month-old, keeps them alive. I go in for emergency surgery at like one in the morning. And then I wake up the next day, and they're like, all right, well, you're fine. You can probably keep going on your trip if you want. And I was like, no, I don't think I will. And so... My husband comes and picks me up around noon and that was probably not a wise choice because I was like all hopped up on pain meds. I'm like, I feel great. I feel fine. And then he picks me up and instantly just like super nauseous, super sick, but we got to make it back home. So we just have the most miserable drive of my life from LA back to San Diego and we never made it on the trip. Oh, uh, did you get the tip oh. back? Yeah, did you? We did. So my husband, <laughs> he, he woke up in the morning from the hotel, right? Took all the kids back up the mountain, oh, took oh the gosh. tent down, took everything down, drove back, picked me up from the hospital. And oh, that's then we went horrible. Home. How disappointing. Oh, man. Like, really? Like, for sure. You expect kids to get sick or other things to happen. But when it's you, like, you just feel so frustrated. You're like, I could have prevented anything. I could have dealt with anything. It's kind of, I mean, you could now be an astronaut, right? Like, astronauts have their appendixes appendices appendices out um (laughs) but like 
the thought that that could hit at any point and it hits on your like life-saving trip, the trip you needed. And like, we have been there. Jen and I also had babies just before the pandemic hit. Both of us had our second baby. And I know that feeling of just, you've gone stir crazy and you need something to look forward to. I'm so disappointed for you that you never went on that trip at that time. And that you were also probably in excruciating pain as well. Appendicitis is no joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I just had a baby five months ago. And so I kept comparing it to that. And I'm like, well, it's not as bad as like labor pain. It's probably not a big deal. And then I got to the point of appendicitis when like, I love it compared. Mums. So. I really love mums. You're like, it's not as bad as labor. Like, yeah. I hope yeah. and I wish for all mums who've been through labor that you will never experience pain like labor ever again. So unfortunately, that's the benchmark we've got. Like, oh, well, it's not so bad. I've had much, much worse. I feel a lot more confident because I'm like, well, I don't really have any more organs to lose so if we do go on a trip (laughs) i'm not going to be the reason it's canceled so i love that's our new benchmark yeah yeah did you ever make it back up to see the redwoods we never did (sighs) very sad but we're planning on moving back to the states um probably after we spend about three years here and that's it's number one on our list for sure right we'll be crossing our fingers you've got a trip yeah, you've got a trip three years from now to look forward to. I love that. Uh, we've shared on this show so many trips that have gone wrong. Uh, none of us have had organs removed during any of these trips. So I yet. think yours definitely <laughs> takes like yet. Yet. I mean, there's still time. There's still time. Uh, but it's so true. Like as a parent, like you have the best laid plans. You've organized everything. You expect a kid to get sick. But when it's you getting something, it's like even more... Um, even more frustrating. Um, now, Leslie, I know you're starting kind of a new career over in New Zealand and helping and inspiring uh, parents to get outside more. Um, and for our listeners who from anywhere in the world or perhaps over in New Zealand, Kate's got a good following going in Australia. Um, where can people find more about you to connect to learn about some of the adventures you've been on? So I'm most active on Instagram. You can find me at Leslie Alder Co. On TikTok, you can find me at Leslie Alder Coaching. Um, and for my Kiwi friends who may be listening, you may know me as the person who went viral on TikTok for sharing the difference between New Zealand brooms and American brooms. Apparently, we're very passionate about our brooms here. So if you don't <laughs> look at like the second TikTok I ever posted, it went viral and has like 8 million views of people fighting over which broom is the best. So okay, you can you, <laughs> what is the difference? Material. Well, so in like America, you have your like, I, can't, I don't know how to describe it, like a triangle shaped broom, right? Like long bristles, you sweep in a sideways motion. Here, the most popular sort is the kind that you'd see like in a garage. So it's like a beam, like a rectangular beam, <laughs> short bristles, and you like push back and forth. But they have like smaller versions for inside. And the majority of people opt for that. And I just struggle so hard with like corners and like, I don't know, am I supposed to be pushing or like the way I was trained to use brooms does not work here. So (laughs) I just expressed my slight frustration and curiosity about the preference of brooms. And what's the population of New Zealand? Like five Um, five million? Less than eight million. Yeah. So so pretty much literally everyone in New Zealand saw this and then a few other people too. Wow. Okay. Uh, Good good to know then, Leslie. Um, (laughs) We'll make sure all those links um, and maybe the link to your TikTok video as well are dropped into our show notes so so people can find out more about you and follow along as your family, you know, goes through this transition. And from the sounds of it, it sounds like you will continue to, you know, travel the world with your kids and sort of take these these learnings of different different types of living and and less stuff is more um, with you as you go. So 
we'll make sure all those links are dropped into the show notes. Um, and I think, you know, for Jen and I, we we also think about this too with our homes. Jen's very good at decluttering, at getting th- simplifying her systems and her lifestyle and that kind of thing. And I feel like I can continue to work on it. So um, thank you for all those tips, Leslie. And as well for the story of you with appendicitis, we feel very badly for you with that one. Um, <laughs> and also a good tip, if something feels like you're in a lot of pain, you should go to the doctor after all, because, you know, mum's put up with way too much, way too much. Um, thanks so much for coming on Leslie and we wish you and your family all the best in New Zealand Um, if you have enjoyed this episode and you'd like to find out more uh, you can go find us over on Instagram at get outside with kids we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review and a comment wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll be back again next week with another episode of get outside with kids Mm